Welcome back to another School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello. Um, as always, joined by Adam and Chris, who is back this week. Chris, hope uh, hope things are, are are feeling a little better this week. Uh, taking it back off the off the the injury list, like we hope to uh, do with some of these Everton players moving forward. Well, I was feeling okay until the penalty shootout this afternoon, <laughs> and now I'm just that's, that's sad not true again. at all. You, you were feeling very bad for 70 minutes and then great for 20 minutes and then sad again. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a little bit more accurate, but I don't want to delve too, I don't want to delve too far into the machinations of my own brain. That's no good for anybody. Well, 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 before we get to Lester, we do have to talk about Manchester United on Sunday. Um, Really just some quick things on them. They drew United 1-1, uh, or Everton drew United 1-1. Um, own goal was our only goal in the 36th minute. Uh, Mason Greenwood had a goal in the 77th minute that tied things up for United. Um, you know, not really too much to this game, just some things, you know, obviously there was the, the, the big story that we'll get to, but first off, let's start with how we started. Mason Holgate coming out as a what looked like a central defensive midfielder there. Um, what did you guys think of him? Adam, we'll start with you. God, it was an experience unlike really any other. Um, I mean, I, I think probably good on Duncan Ferguson to realize that a 5-3-2 with a 3 that would have been Tom Davis, uh, Bernard, and Alex Awobi maybe wasn't the way to go. Um, I, I don't think anyone will be mistaking Mason Holgate for a natural midfielder anytime soon, but I mean, given what he was asked to do, which was basically sit in front of the back four and kick the ball far when it got to him, uh, he was fine. Uh, I don't want to see him there ever again, except that we just did today, um, which again, for reasons that we'll talk about, but I mean, yeah. on the scale of things that could be bad or seem like they should be bad on paper, it was really not that bad. Um, he com- just, just so you guys know, against Manchester United, Mason Holgate completed 17 passes um, from a midfield position, which is – which is not what you want, but at the same time, like Adam says, that, you know, passing was not really what anyone was being asked to do for Everton. Kick on ball far. Chris. Yeah. Kick no, ball far. I, I just, I just pulled up his pass map while you were talking about that and I was what like, oh. What pass map? Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's just. Pass, pass maps for anything regarding our midfield for like the past four games because it probably won't look too Yeah. Good. The, the Duncan Ferguson pass map era is dire. <laughs> <laughs> um, the best part about the Mason Holgate and defensive midfield experiment to me was how, you know, like right before the opening whistle, the team ostensibly sets up in the formation that they're going to play in, and Holgate is in the middle between Mina and Keane, and is when the whistle blows, he hauls ass into midfield like it was some grand caper, and Ferguson's like, got him. <laughs> as, as if Manchester United was going to play us any differently with a 5-3-2 where, we, where the uh, strategy was kick ball far and a 4-4-2 where the strategy was still kick ball far. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, I mean, of all the things that we've seen happen this week, you know, from Coutinho wearing a youth-sized jersey for Bayern Munich for the entire season and, and, and Mesut Ozil, um, you know, getting kicked out of a Chinese video game, I, I guess this probably isn't the weirdest thing that we've seen all week. 
compared to the other things. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, have you seen Mason Holgate play before? <laughs> I mean, I mean and, 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 and I will admit that Mason Holgate this season. The weird, the strangest the whole, part about it is that he played pretty good. Yeah, and he's yeah. been, you know, and he's been decent this season in defense up to this point. But I think, you know, I think we can probably agree that composure with the ball in his feet and decision making are not two of his strengths. Definitely. And it's, it's an issue when he's playing center back. You would expect it to be a bigger issue when he's playing in the center of midfield. And like I said, it really uh, wasn't. And that doesn't, I even now saying the words with my mouth, I'm like, is that right? Am I sure that that's what I saw? But it was. It was. Well, the sad thing is that apparently Michael Keane caught the disease that Mason Holgate has had the first two or three years of his career. Oh, so that's great. Mm. That's true. Yeah, and and, That's and true. we will, you know, we'll, we will certainly get into that a little bit because um, there's a lot to talk about there. But before we get into that, um, let's talk about the first our goal, um, the own goal. In your guys' opinion, obviously there was a lot of talk about this. The Premier League came out and released a statement that it was the right call. Um, in your guys' opinion, from what you guys saw, was it the right call or should it have been overturned? Chris, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly didn't even think anything of it when I watched it live on Sunday morning. Um, I thought David De Gea and Dominic Calvert-Lewin just went up for a totally 50-50 challenge. I thought it was completely fair that uh, Dom went after the ball in that scenario because, you know, it, when, it go, when it goes up, it looks like either of them have a chance to get it, and that's one of those things where you can't really call a foul on it to me. Yeah, I, I didn't think there was anything particularly controversial about that. Uh, yeah. Didn't didn't look a foul. Looked to me like both guys, you know, whiffed, just completely whiffed on the ball. Uh, you know, if Dom wins that header, they're not going to call him for a foul either. They were about equidistant from it, and they both just missed. And then, you know, Victor God Lindelof, bless Victor Lindelof yeah. <laughs> just smacked it in with his dick like you do. Yeah, well, which I mean, I mean I- hey. It's as good a use as any. <laughs> Can um, we use that? Is that allowed? Can I say might, that? Might, might have to cut that part. We'll come back uh. to it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll that. Um, yeah, uh, moving on from that. Um, no, uh, but I, I agree with you guys. I think that, you know, it's it's hard to call a foul in that situation. It looked like, you know, even if um, De Gea was, you know, completely – uncontested the ball looks like he might have even even played it a little poorly there where it would have went over his hand anyway um and yeah I I don't think there was anything in it either so I I agree with you guys and I agree with the Premier League in the sense that it was the right call but moving forward what do we like about this game Adam uh well I I like that we didn't concede a goal until the 77th minute uh that was nice uh we certainly didn't have as much in the attack uh to be happy with as we did uh, against Chelsea, I thought United did a much better job of limiting the the counterattack, uh, presumably because they they were a little bit more prepared for it than than Chelsea was. Um, but I mean, again, much as as was the case with the Chelsea match, much as we'll we'll talk about probably with the Leicester match today, uh, you can only expect so much from the group of players that was out on the field at that point uh, for most of the game, and. If you offered me a 1-1 draw against Manchester United at the start of the season in a game where Mason Holgate was going to play 90 minutes at center mid, I would have bit your head off for it. 
Um, well, that's so, kind of that's kind of the thing, right? Like, not and not to oversimplify this, but when you ask what do we like about this game, the the genuine answer is that we didn't lose, and I say yeah. that because that's a, that's a that's a true achievement for the roster that's being rolled out there at the moment, considering all of the injuries and the inexperience of the manager. We went to one of the toughest places to play in England and didn't lose. I, I yeah. like that. I like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, all about it. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, you know, when you, when you don't lose, especially in the form that we were in before the Chelsea game, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everything's, you know, a plus and, and just grabbing a point and, and really when you look at it as a whole, four points in, in two games against, you know, Chelsea at home and, and United, you know, we'll take that. And uh, and our away form on the whole, pretty bad. Yeah. Pretty bad. Yeah. So we will definitely definitely take that a, a, as a positive there. And you know, obviously not like you guys said. You know, when you look at this game, the positive is that we didn't lose. So there were things that obviously we didn't feel great about. Chris, we'll start with you. What didn't we like about this game? Um, I'm gonna single an individual out and. In we we can get to him more later, but I just have not been happy with Alex Awobi's performances lately. Um, I you know he we, he was purchased as the idea with the idea of kind of becoming a secondary creator or even a primary creator with you know along with Sigerson and maybe um, Bernard to some extent as well, and that just hasn't really happened. You can kind of see that he does have good ideas. He obviously does have talent. I mean, you don't spend as much time playing at Arsenal if you don't. But he has just completely been unable to impact games in any meaningful way in terms of creating chances. And I know, you know, he's got some good progressive passing numbers, and I understand that. But at some point, you do have to turn those into assists. And both against United and Leicester, I just I felt like he was he was on the fringes of the match. And when we're missing Gilfie Sigurdsson, you know, you kind of need somebody to step up. And not just missing Sigurdsson either, but missing Andre Gomez as well. Yeah, I mean. Uh, my question would be to you now would be, do you think that it, it is possibly due to the fact that, you know, he doesn't have that defensive midfield behind him, um, you know, in the formation that they're playing, he's more out wide now um, and they're playing that four four two. Is it is it circumstantial nonsense or um, you think it's just the way he's playing and he just needs to figure it out in that in that way? I, I, th- I think it's probably a little bit of both. And I know that's kind of a cop out, but. You're de- you're definitely inhibited some at, to some extent without having you know the experience of Fabian Delph and Morgan Schneiderlin and even Gilfie Sigurdsson to some extent back there. But again, you know I don't think that Alex Awobi was purchased with a lot of stipulations, right? Like this was one of the big moves from our summer to kind of in, in, kind of really be the last piece in attack, right? Like because <clears throat> excuse me, you know you had Richarlison, you had Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Moise Keane. And then it will be supposed to be that final creative piece. And it just, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe Carlo Ancelotti can get something out of him. I don't think it's a total waste of a buy just because he's very young and it wasn't excessively expensive. But right now it's trending towards me being wrong about that signing. Yeah, and I, I think that the, the key there with it will be is that it is, it is part, uh, circumstantial. And it's part not not being able to find the space or have the target when he's on the ball, but but part of it is is just raw execution. It's just that he is on the ball and he has a pass to play, and he's just not consistently enough hitting it for a guy who's supposed to be in the role that he's in. 
Um, and, well, and, and I think I wonder too troubling. if. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and I wonder too, not to cut you off, but if you know suddenly being the guy is is part of what's causing this because you know at Arsenal you have Mesut Ozil, you have Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, Alexander Lacazette, and all these guys, and you know at Everton with Gilfie Sigurdsson down and Andre Gomes as well, it's kind of like well, Alex Wobie has to be the one who's doing this. Yeah, and, and that that kind of takes me into and Bernard the, was hurt as well, yeah. lest we forget. Yeah, and Bernard, since his return, was Has actually not was, been very was who I was was going to bring up as well, and 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 I don't really put that on on Bernard from the United match um, at all. It, it's simply the the fact that you know it will be uh, Walcott, even Richarlison are guys who physically are built to to play a game, you know. 80 minutes in defense and 10 minutes in attack and, and be able to make something of that 10 minutes in attack. And Bernard is just not, he's not a very good defender. Uh, he doesn't have the size nor the raw pace. He's quick, but he's not fast. Um, to really, you know, uh, make, make a ton of impact defensively. And, and kind of the upshot there is that so that he doesn't get beat, he's sitting so deep and he's not getting forward to impact the attack in any meaningful way. Um, Again, I don't really put that on him, and uh, it was what it was with, with Walcott out. If you wanted to play two strikers, that was kind of, you know, you were stuck. He had to had to play there. Um, but I thought that that was one, one thing that stood out to me from the United match that maybe was not um, as obvious as some other things. Yeah, um, you know. There's a lot of things from this game I think you could point out, but I, I think, you know, in trying to move to our next topic here, the biggest one, the biggest thing that came out of this game was the handling of Moise Keane's substitution on the field and then 18 minutes later coming off the field before the end of the game. Um, obviously, we've heard what Duncan Ferguson has had to say in terms of, you know, wasting some time and and, you know, not being pleased with, you know, you know, some of the things he was doing out there, um, you know, I, there was this, there was a tweet that was circling in term in defense of Keen saying, um, this is from Patrick Ridge, uh, you know, he's saying that, you know, he does, he, he's, he's having a go at the fans who are, are saying Keen didn't put an effort in. He, he ran 2.1 kilometers in the 18 minutes, um, and, and had the fourth highest sprints in, in the entire team. You know, it seems to have been a point of controversy before this, you know, obviously today when we played Leicester and the focus shifted. How did you guys feel about the handling of this Keen situation? Well, Adam can tell you, I was not a fan. I was he was, he was unhappy. Mad. He was real mad. Well, the, the, the thing is that we have just recently seen – Everton run off Nikola Vlasic. We've seen them run off Adamola Lookman. And Moise Keane is probably more talented than both of those players. At least he's got a more significant pedigree in terms of, you know, his, his footballing upbringing, for lack of a better term. And in that moment, it felt a lot like, here's this guy who's never been a manager before. He's feels like he may have, you know, more sway at the club than he actually does. And who doesn't, you know, truthfully, may or may not know what he's doing. This could ruin this player's Everton career all in one fell swoop. Just 20 minutes gone, poof. And so, you know, obviously we get to today against Leicester City and see that that probably wasn't the case because I, 
I don't know about you guys, but I, th- I thought Keane played well well today in the cup match. And, yeah, you know, absolutely. Agreed. And he got to play for 45, you know, he played 45 right, right. minutes. <laughs> so he played the full certainly... 45 minutes and I, you know, yeah. Uh, well, part of part of the trouble too for for Moyes, I think, is that this is not a style of football that really suits him. No. And yeah, exactly, so. same thing. Felt the same thing. Um, you know, I, I was thinking the same thing. You know, he, he, you just look at him out there today. He looks a little bit, you know, uncomfortable in this style because he's used to doing, you know, um, you know, I guess playing a prettier style style of football than than we're playing. Um, but Chris, you know, Adam, um. Before I, I send it over to you, I, I think you're. I think you hit the nail on the head with the Ferguson, and you know him having. You know, listen, I don't have any ties to the Ferguson era, and knowing what he was like for Everton um, while he was at the club there. Um, so this is coming from a, a pu- purely neutral perspective on him, I guess you could say. Um, you know, I, I think it's okay to criticize him and saying that he may not have handled this the right way in taking him off. Well, yeah, and I, I think there's, there's maybe a real sense in which Dunk feels like, you know, his, his tires have been pumped up a little bit, right? You know, you're coming off the big win against Chelsea, everybody's singing your name, you're doing all these touchline antics, which I enjoy, no judgment yeah. here. I, I've yeah. enjoyed the ball boy stuff, but like, you know, all of a sudden, your legend, which was pretty big already, has grown just to an astronomical, almost unmanageable size, and I think that that can affect your day-to-day decisions. Yeah, and I think that that after I think that if you asked him right now, especially after Keane puts in a pretty good shift today, I think if you asked him right now and you got he gave you a perfectly truthful answer off the record, I think he'd probably acknowledge now that he probably made a mistake in doing that. Uh, yeah, that, I, I think you're right, and I think he just what made it so much worse was when Moyes came off. Dunk didn't even look at him. Yeah. If you just if you just take him by the shoulder and say, "Hey, hey, man, I really did just want to kill some time." Yeah. Or, or just even to say, you know, I, I did. I set you up for failure here. This is not on you. Yeah. This, exactly. This, this is yeah. on me. Which again, I think, I think that privately, I think that Duncan Ferguson would 100% cop to at this point and say, you know, I didn't set him up to succeed to do the things that I felt he needed to do, and we were not in a position to, you know to play it out five more minutes for his pride, basically. Uh, so I, I made the change I thought we needed to make. And before we wrap up on this point, I, I don't blame, you know, there's, there was a certain section of fans on Twitter and whatnot kind of getting on Moyes for, you know, sulking off to the tunnel. I don't, I don't blame him at all. When I, when I got in trouble at my job, when I was a teenager, it's pretty much the same reaction, right? Like, you know, it's, and Duncan it's, Ferguson said the same thing. Dunk said the exact same thing. He said, "If it was me when I played, uh, I I would have had the exact same reaction." Well, Dunk I, probably I, would have like committed a partial felony or something. <laughs> well, so. Yeah, he would have gone down the tunnel and beat up a ball boy on the way there, rather than hugging one. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, to me, if the manager's saying, "Hey, you know, uh, that's what I would have done as a player too," eh, it's water under the bridge. Yep. Yeah, yep. I, th- I think it's over. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think today showed that. And, and, you know, I just, you know, thought it was something that we need to bring up. You know, there's a lot, there was a lot of on Twitter and, and, you know, obviously a lot of things can happen on Twitter and um, a lot of people could say a lot of different things, but it felt like a lot of people were defending Duncan Ferguson and, and, and really attacking Moise Keen for, you know, not putting a shift in as, as some would say, or, or just, you know, not playing well, whatnot. 
but I think there's a lot more factors to that. And, and, and I feel like a lot of people that aren't us may have a bigger connection to Duncan Ferguson and, and that legend that we never really got to know. So, um, you know, I, and I full of gray area. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so now we arrive at the Leicester game where everything gets solved and, you know, whatever. But we're, you know, moving towards the Leicester game. You know, Everton, obviously, as we know, uh, we're recording on Wednesday, which um, Everton lost earlier today on PKs 4-2 after coming from behind. Um, they were down 2 nothing at after the first half and, and quite honestly, a terrible first half. Um, goals by Tom Davies, pretty solid goal. And then, of course, the the – unbelievable strike by Leighton Baines in the first minute of stoppage time there uh, that practically blew the roof off of Goodison. Um, you know, basically dominated uh, Lester were dominated by Lester in the first half. Um, and, and, you know, towards the end of that second half, it looked like they were dominating. Um, Everton were dominating Lester in, in the, you know, opposite fashion, but I think it's easy to say, I don't know what you guys are thinking, but you know, in moving towards praising Big Dunk here, I think he's revitalized this team a, a significant amount. I, I mean, I think I think there are, and there are certainly major tactical flaws in his approach. Absolutely, yeah. But damn, if he does not seem like one hell of a man manager in terms of motivational tactics, and I think you know, in hindsight, we could probably see that coming, right? Just with his outsized personality and and really his ties to the club and whatnot but even still I've been I've been impressed with that part of it you're not you're not going to find anybody uh, putting in less than 100% when dunks around and and I think to be fair to him um he also he made he got his tactics right uh against Chelsea and I you know we Gino and I talked about that last week and I thought he recognized um in the second half that the 442 was was not working and he he did make a shift into uh, a 4231 where where Davies and um and Holgate were sitting behind Iwobi oh. at the 10 Dom was on the left Richarlison on the right and and Moise Keane up top and it was really that change that was kind of the catalyst for the comeback in the second half it was around that time that Everton started to get a foothold in the match because they had more numbers in the midfield and and then were able to start creating some chances um you know obviously you can make the argument maybe he should have started with that uh, with that alignment uh, it's tough to say based on you know obviously the way that things went against Chelsea and and Man United I don't know if you would have wanted to change things but credit to him at least for really in you know, in three matches showing more tactical flexibility than we saw from Marco Silva in, you know, two and a half seasons. Yeah. However, however long it was, I have, I've already forgotten who's Marco Silva. (laughs) And and just to back you up there, um, you know, Phil Kirkbride uh, in some of Ferguson's comments after today's game, uh, he, he quoted Ferguson saying, I thought the second half was better than the first half weren't aggressive enough. They weren't, uh, there weren't enough hits, but you know, virtually the same team as we put out against Manchester United. And he did confirm that he did change the formation in the second half. So again, like you're saying, great to see him making those tactical changes. You know, obviously some of the tactics 
due to the fact that we probably, I mean, moving into our next point, don't have really many players. Yeah, he's a, he's limited in options just a little bit. Yeah, so <laughs> it's you know it's it's not easy to you know play a really a different style of football when they have the options that they have. Um, but good to see him making those tactical decisions. But moving into the injuries, how much more can we really expect from this team? I, I feel like they've overperformed uh, more than we really could have expected with all the injuries that we've had. Well, yeah, they, no, they, this they, is pro- it. yeah, <laughs> they, they probably <laughs> have overperformed, but what it, what it kind of makes me wonder is if we shouldn't actually expect them to be beating these teams that are pretty bad, at least the next three games, right? So Arsenal, Burnley, and uh, Newcastle. Um, I don't know that that's, I, I hate to put the, put the pressure on, but, um, you know, those three teams are pretty bad and Everton have been playing pretty well and you may end up getting yet another new manager bump in there um for the Burnley match so i i think the the issue um that that we will run into is that if you're going to have a, a part of the pitch where you've got significant injury against good teams against teams who are probably going to outpossess you anyway the place where you can usually get away with it is going to be in the center of midfield. Just just because... steer into the skid, basically, exactly. right? Like... And, and you just say, okay, well, then we're not ever going to try to keep the ball. We're going to play. We're going to play long ball. We're going to play counter exclusively, and we're just we're just going to live with that. Um, now against Arsenal uh, this weekend, I think that'll work fine because Arsenal will absolutely try to play out of the back on us because that's you know who they are and they've they've got the attacking talent certainly, but they're Midfield and defense are, are a mess, but if we're still talking about a, a midfield of, uh, of Mason Holgate and, and Tom Davis, uh, against Burnley, which I, I don't think we will be, I think Sigurdsson will be healthy by then, but even still, you know, a midfield of Sigurdsson and, and Davis at, against Burnley, that's a different proposition because Burnley's gonna sit deep on you and they're gonna say, you know, come, come get us, come break us down. And I don't know how you do that with the, some of the guys who are currently out. And to me, that's that's my biggest concern. Uh, and I know it sounds weird to say, but it's almost a blessing to have played the teams that we played uh, at this particular yeah. point. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that. And I know he hasn't had a very good season thus far, but what a huge difference would it make to have even Fabian Delph, mm-hmm. say, back for Burnley and Newcastle? Um I think that would make that would make a, a major impact, but you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe. Well, we can get to this in the managerial section, but I, you know, I've seen a lot of Carlo Ancelotti football. Still, don't really know what he's all about tactically because his teams have always had such superior talent. Are, are you suggesting that Mason Holgate, the central midfielder, is not superior talent? Well, I mean, <laughs> compared to my Sunday afternoon church league games, <laughs> it's a, I mean, fair enough. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. Um, moving from you know, you know the I guess you could say the good of this game to to some of the bad. Um, let's talk about the goals. Leicester scored in the first half first. Um, I wrote down here first Leicester goal, ha ha ha, and then second Leicester goal, even more ha 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 ha. Because I mean, the defending on those two goals was absolutely atrocious. No. Well, the the funny the funny thing is that I'm pretty. I'd have to go back and watch it again, but I'm pretty confident that uh, James Madison was Mason Holgate's mark 
Um, and he oh, was just completely out the lunch. Here's what happened on the first the first Leicester goal, and this is uh, I know I I talk smack about Mason Holgate a lot, but he's he's done just about everything that's been asked of him this year, and I say this sincerely and really without blaming Holgate a whole lot. The lad thought he was playing center back. He genuinely forgot for a second he was playing center mid because it's ridiculous that he's playing center mid. He sat deep in between uh, Keane and and uh, Mina, and as soon as a pass went out to Madison at the top of the box, the guy he should have been marking as a central midfielder, he went, oh, shit, that's right. I'm playing center mid. That's my guy. And it was too late. Uh, I mean – it's hard that's, for that's, me also, be... that's also a good finish. Like, you know, there's a there's a oh, very yeah. real chance in which he, Madison is marked and he still scores that the way that yeah. it, the way that he shot it. So, yeah, and, I mean, and like yeah. I said, I, I don't want to be hypercritical of Mason Holgate in that situation either, because really you'd be hard pressed to point to a whole lot of mistakes that he made in a position that is not his natural position. It just so happened that one of the ones he did make, he got punished for in a big way. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I mean, Madison had, you know, tons of space there. Um, and like you said, it was a great finish. He put it in the corner there, struck it really well. But, um, you know, obviously Mason Holgate not being in position, uh, helped that out a little bit. And then of course, the, what, whatever was happening on, what was it? The corner kick that led to Johnny Evans goal. Uh, there was yeah. defenders in the same spot, and then Johnny Evans standing all by himself. And that the, one, that one, I will be hypercritical of Michael Keane about because yeah. that was that was Keane's guy. Evans was Keane's guy the whole way. He was on him. The ball got deflected, and Michael Keane got distracted like a bug to shit. Uh, and next thing he knew, the ball was behind him, and so was Johnny Evans. Uh, I, I mean, you just. At this level, it's just a basic mental error that you cannot be making. And obviously with the way that the the game went late, you know, if if we're down one instead of two and we get those last 20 minutes, uh, who knows what happens? Who knows? Um, So that's – and that's from a player that you expect better from in that sort of situation. And and just – while we're still on things from this match that we don't like, can we talk about Yuri Mina and his apparently conical forehead? Yes. No. Yeah. Only was, good against the English national team. That's yeah. What the, the heck, Yuri? <laughs> <laughs> Cannot head the ball for club. Oh. And, and 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 that's you know like you were saying about Keane, you know, defending and marking uh, Johnny Evans. If Yuri Mina puts probably should have put both of those headers in the back of the net. You know, it's 2-2 at the end of the first half, and, you know, who knows what happens. Maybe it was a good thing that both of them didn't go in, but one of them would have been nice. Yeah. Uh, You know, because, uh, you know, again, it's a completely different game if one of those goes in the back of the net. And, uh, you know, it's 2-1 at the half instead of 2-0, and there's a a lesser deficit to have to break down. Um, You know, we talked about it a little bit, but Keen, Moise Keen. Uh, dispelled really any controversy from from Manchester United came on in the uh the beginning of the second half thought he was pretty good what was your guys opinion I I think that we we talked about you know kind of the the major thing which is that he's not built to to play in in this sort of 
you know, very conservative defense first approach. And that's not a critique of Duncan Ferguson either. Obviously, as we've discussed, that's just kind of where we are right now. But I mean, we saw that when he gets the ball in space, he is dangerous. You know, he got the ball, uh, probably that was right after the first goal. He got the ball out in that right central channel, uh, with a little bit of space in front of him. And he did about 52 step overs, absolutely shook a guy and dropped a cross right onto Dominic Calvert-Lewin's head that, you know, could have very, very easily tied the game with 15 minutes to play. And at that point, I, I don't think that you would have picked against uh, Everton getting a third and, and winning it in, in regulation. Um, there were, he was also quiet for long spells because he's not a particularly physical dude. And Lester had three center backs on and we were just lumping balls into the box, but it was encouraging to see him go out there, put the right effort forward and showcase a little bit of the skill that he's got and in hopes that when we've got uh, something that can resemble more of a regular lineup, uh, he can, he can really shine the way that we hoped he would when we originally signed him. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add to that other than just to kind of reemphasize Adam's last point that I, I think that at some point, as well as Dominic Calvert-Lewin has played, at some point you're going to have to give Moiskeen a chance with like, you know, a genuine first team out there that's not riddled with injuries because, you know, whether it be two weeks from now, two months from now, or two years from now, you're going to need an answer on the whole Moiskeen question and playing him in a 4-4 freaking two under Duncan Ferguson isn't really getting the job done. Or a 4-2-3-1 with wingers as uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. You know, let's wrap this thing up right now, though. Um, What matters? We'll start with you. Um. As we've kind of discussed with all the injuries, I don't know how much, how many long-term takeaways there are. I'm kind of tempted to revert back to something a little simplistic and just say that Leighton Baines is the dude. Mm, and he was, man. and he has always been that dude. And I think that he, you know, it, it, the, the euphoria lasted, but gosh, probably what, 10, 15 minutes of real time. But, um, uh, he deserved that, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think I think that's a great takeaway, and I agree. I don't think, much like the United match, there's not a whole lot to take away from it just because we're seeing Duncan, the lads, do the best they can with, with what they've got. Um, but, yeah, it, as I, I said to Chris post-game, you know, I, I hopefully, uh, no no offense to Leighton Baines, but hopefully it's it's the last – you know, the time that, that Everton needs him in a meaningful match this season, what with only being left in the Premier League in the FA Cup and only going to last one game in the FA Cup. Uh, you expect Luca Dinia will, will start just about every game here on out from, for, for left back. And this will be it probably for, for Baines here. At least this will be it at Everton. Um, and what a great way for a guy who's given everything that he's had to the club for so long. Uh, to get to go out, you know, really, even still with, with the loss, to, to really go out as the hero. Um, and I hope, uh, above all, I hope that his statue at the, uh, at the new stadium is him standing on the ball, shrugging his shoulders, asking where the open guy is 
the way that he does every time he gets the ball because it makes me laugh every single time. And you're right, Leighton. Where is the open man? Where is he? <laughs> well, the, the, so the two two things real quick. Kind of the, the, the beauty of, of football and really of sports as a whole is that we can still fully enjoy that moment and reminisce about it five oh, years okay. from now. Even though, even though Everton lost the game, because there's really no replacing that feeling that all three of us got when that ball went in the net and, you know, we're all in different parts of the United States and separated by thousands of miles and trying not to get fired. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I'm going to remember that and I'm, I'm probably going to forget about the result of this game within what, two or three years, but I'm not going to forget about that goal. And I think that that's important. And, I also think that, you know, Leighton Baines has perhaps been a little underappreciated as the years have gone by. I don't want to say that the signing of Luca Dean whitewashed him, but in, in a certain sense it did because, you know, he was he was such a fixture for so long and then all of a sudden, boom, gone. We've got the best left back in the league now. And, yeah. and to be fair to Leighton Baines to today and, and also when he came in off the bench against United. He's pretty decent. He was fine. Yeah, you know, Gino and I talked last week about, you know, being concerned about the idea of, of Daniel James against Leighton Baines. And, I and was that, terrified of Damari Gray against him. And, and it all turned really much, pretty much into non-factors. Um, yeah. And let's not, you know, lose track of the fact that he was taking set pieces in both of those games. Both those headers that we talked about that Yerry Mina should have scored on come from corners from Leighton Baines because he was the only guy left. Um, so, you know, and, and in, in, and in true Leighton Baines fashion, when he scored the goal this afternoon, he, everyone, all of his teammates were freaking out and he's just kind of, eh, that was cool, yeah. I guess. Eh, Obviously whatever. I hit the upper 90s. <laughs> Obviously. Come on. Have you met me? <laughs> I do that. I do that shit all the time. <laughs> but yeah, no, for sure. I, you know, seeing him score that goal, you know, Leighton Baines, from my perspective, first ever Jersey I got. Um, you know, the first real guy that, you know, when, when I started watching Everton, I was like, oh man, this, this Leighton Baines guy, he, he's pretty solid. Um, and then you have the goals, you know, the goal against Newcastle. Um, you know, it, it's up there with that goal for late from Leighton Baines. The and brace course, against West Ham. West Ham. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And, and, then, oh. and then in terms of Everton goals that I've seen in my lifetime, you know, Phil Jagielka, Against Liverpool from it's, the outside, it's up there with the um, with the Jags. I, I wrote I wrote that after the game today. I, I I really do think, right in that moment with the circumstances such as they were, it it's up there. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But moving on now to the weekend, we will be playing Arsenal. I believe this is Saturday, correct, guys? Saturday, seven thirty a.m. Eastern uh, 7.30 a.m. Eastern time, yeah. 6.30 a.m. my time. Oh, baby. 12.30 p.m. over in England. Um, you, you got kids, man. You're going to be awake anyway. I don't yeah, want to hear it. that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I, Arsenal currently sitting in 10th place on 22 points. They have a total of seven points from the last nine Premier League games, which is something that even we it's, have been it's able bad. to It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. Um, on a not-so-promising side, Everton are 2-8-0 against Arsenal in the last 10 games. Uh, but both teams have come to Everton. Um, so that's, that's good. Um, and, and this is a real chance, I think, for Everton to move up with three points. I think West Ham has um, Liverpool this week. Um, Burnley and Newcastle are playing each other. So, so And those are the teams that are separate um, us and Arsenal right now. 
Um, so real chance for Everton to move up in this one. Probably big dunks, um, you know, last game in charge. How are we thinking he sets up? I mean, can't really set up any differently from the way he has the last few games, correct? Yeah, I mean, it, it it's going to be the same 4-4-2. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. The, the the question will really just be um do, if, do we get the return of, of Gilpie Sigurdsson and, and Jabril Sidibe? Um and Sidibe obviously you know, I don't think there's any doubt that Sidibe comes into the starting lineup if if he's He's uh, just had a he's just had a better season so. than Coleman has, honestly. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and it, it's just that simple. I, uh, I believe Gilpie, he leads the team in assists, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's uh, up to four. I will, I will check that, but I believe you're correct, yeah. And and I think you know I think you have to start Sigurdsson. No no disrespect to as I said to what Mason Holgate has has done um, in the midfield for for Everton in the last few games. He's he's done his best, but especially with the way that Michael Keane is playing right now, I'd I'd really rather see Davies and and Sigurdsson in the midfield and drop Holgate back uh, alongside Mina, and then yes, probably see that same. I, yeah, I, I I do think Michael Keane needs uh, maybe a couple weeks on the beach or you know yeah yeah we'll we'll we'll, we'll see how house. That one, <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll see how that one plays out for Keane but I, I agree with you guys there I think that <laughs> how how can. good is Kurt Zuma apparently by the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> to make Michael Keane look like that it has to be it has to be pretty good considering the way he's been playing this year and really the way he played before Kurt Zuma. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no, great point there. Um, in terms of, uh, managerial bumps, um, Everton doesn't look like they'll have Ancelotti in place for this match, but it looks like Arsenal will, um, or, or definitely seems like a possibility that they'll have Arteta in place for this game. How does this affect us? Um, will it affect the way Arsenal play? Um, you know, really anything with that affecting us in this game? Well, um, I think Arsenal are definitely going to get a new manager bump for the reason that it's hard to be any worse than they've been over the last <laughs> couple of weeks. I mean, you know, they, they've lost to Brighton. They have drawn standard Liège in the Europa League. They got drop kicked by Manchester City. They drew Norwich. They lost to Frankfurt. They lost to Leicester. They drew Southampton. They drew a team from the Portuguese league. Like it is really, really bad. And I, Freddie Lundberg is, Apparently also really bad. All that to say, um, I think it will affect the way Arsenal play. I don't think that Arteta will have time, of course, to get his, whatever his system is in, into play, but I do think that despite playing for David Moyes and despite playing for Arsene Wenger, from everything that I've read, he's more of a Pep Guardiola disciple. And so that'll be, that'll be interesting, uh, as a neutral observer moving forward with Arsenal anyway. Uh, and I mean, I, I don't, I don't necessarily know how much about Arsenal in terms of play style you can really change just because in terms of personnel, they are who they are. Their defense is bad. Well, it's, you it, it's, 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 it's kind of amazing to look at a team that rich in world football and say that they could use like six new defenders. And that's yeah. not even really an exaggeration. And, and they could probably use some midfield help too. Um, you know, and, and that's not to take anything away from the fact that, you know, Aubameyang and uh, Lacazette are, are very good. Martinelli has been, uh, has been a, a pleasant surprise for them. Um, 
Pepe in theory is good. Uh, I, I haven't ever really seen that with my eyes, but that's what, that's what they tell me is that he's supposed to be good. Uh, you know that this is an Arsenal team that's going to be capable of scoring goals. And to me, their midfield and their defense are, are so shambolic that really until you can get new guys in, the, the only real option is to try to win games six to five, uh, which is in sets up for an interesting dichotomy against an Everton team that will certainly come out looking to win one nothing because that's really all they've got the personnel to do uh, right now. Uh, it, it's you're, you're going to have it, in terms of the respective midfields in this game. It's going to be the resistible force against the movable object. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's ready for Torreira and Guendouzi against uh, Davies and Sigurdsson? Hmm? Yeah, Boy. that's the good <laughs> stuff. Mm. Dollar Tree David Luiz. <laughs> David Luiz has been so bad. He's getting benched for Callum Chambers. That's who was that? David Luiz has been. Callum Chambers, who, lest you forget, was playing for Fulham last season. Fulham, Fulham had a terrible defense. And if you recall, Fulham, Fulham had shipped a, a record number defense. of goals. His <laughs> <laughs> legitimately historically bad defense Fulham had last year, and. And Arsenal genuinely thought that bringing in David Luiz was going to fix their problems on defense. <laughs> oh, Arsenal never. I, I do, I do, I, I do kind it. of want a Yerry Mina David Luiz off, though. Ooh. I would, I would enjoy Ooh. that brand of center back crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I mean, uh, I, think, I think Mina would, would win. I mean, come on. Yeah, Yerry Mina actually good. A better center back than David Luiz, but they both do kind of have this. This crazy man tendency. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, other than Yerimina going off and, you know, have, get, getting that crazy mentality and possibly getting a red card, I guess you could say, what about this game worries you? Uh, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang? <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's the, uh, that's the first it, and yeah, the last right? answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, he's very good. Um, I would go so far as to say he's very, very good. Uh, in fact, he should not be playing for the tenth best team in England. Let's no, put it that way. No, and Arsenal have proven that they really are that too. That table doesn't lie at this stretch of the season, and we can admit that as Everton fans, <laughs> right. we know it to be true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Aubameyang is dangerous. I, like I said, I, I hope that Sigurdsson is is back and healthy so that we can have a centre back pairing a Holgate and Mina so that we've got a, a little bit more pace to, to deal with uh, Abenayang's pace, um, because if it does have to be keen, if I'm Arsenal, I'm picking on that matchup all fucking day. I'm just running right at him. Yeah, exactly. Make it and make a decision there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's going to be, I mean, I'm praying we do not have to see Michael Keane go up against Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, because that would probably be a disaster. But we said the same thing for Man United, and we only gave up one goal in that game. So. <laughs> and it was not to Marcus Rashford or Anthony Martial, so what the hell do we know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't know anything. Um, I, I, I'm happy we could do our part for the Manchester United mouth breathers who now think that Mason Greenwood is Wayne Rooney 2.0. I'm going to really enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there is uh, – there was – oh, man, the, 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 the comparisons that came out after after the game were, were pretty were, – Crazy. Like Robin Van Persie was was compared to him at, at a point. There's a there's a lot. Uh, but getting back to Arsenal, um, how do Everton get a result? 
they punch Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and then wait for Callum Chambers or Socrates to gift them a goal. <laughs> it, it's pretty much the Chelsea formula all over again. And really, this is, again, a team much like Chelsea, much like United. Really, a lot of pace up top, some dangerous attackers, a midfield that is going to struggle to break down a deep-lying block, and a defense that's going to gift you a, a chance at, or two at a goal. It worked against Chelsea. It worked against United. Uh, You don't have to squint real hard to see how it works against Arsenal as well. Yeah, I mean, I I think the answer to getting a result is just the good old rope-a-dope, right? Like, (laughs) sit sit super deep and make Lacazette and Aubameyang and Nicola Pepe get frustrated and then hope you bounce one in off somebody's butt. Yeah, or, or off somebody's dick. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> apparently, that's, apparently, yeah, that's more realistic. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Hopefully um, Victor well, Lindelof has recovered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Might have to cut that part too. <laughs> um, predictions for this game? Chris, we'll start with you. Uh, I'm gonna go 1-1. I, I just Arsenal are really, really bad guys. Like, if you haven't watched much of them this season, it is truly horrific. And the the only reason they're in the table spot that they are is Aubameyang and Lacazette deserve deserve better. Well, this I would say is the perfect test of of Duncan Ferguson's revitalizing the team in the sense that a team that's really, really bad is going to come to Goodison, and we're going to see if they actually, you know break that chain like they have in recent past and um or or if if Everton can you know pull out a win like they should pull out a win or at least a draw like they should um Adam your prediction in this one 1-0 Everton all the way I feel it <laughs> we're going to get us a clean sheet I feel wow. it wow Arsenal is bad uh and they're going to do it for big dunk I think Goodison once again will be rocking and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just got a feeling about this one that we, we nick another stupid early one and then we just tell Arsenal, na 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 come and get it. <laughs> just the Jordan Pickford's pass map is going to be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> just all red, big red lines as far as the eye can see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I can't, I, I'm not as optimistic about the clean sheet, but I am optimistic in the sense that I think we, we could win this one. So I'm just going to go with the same scoreline I've gone with, I think, for the past, like, five weeks. 2-1. 2-1 to Everton, and uh, we'll see how that plays out. Um, at some on. point, you know you're going to be right. At some point, exactly. Odds are. Exactly. You almost had it today. I yeah. almost had it today. Like, half half our friggin' writers picked it 2-1 today, and then Leighton Baines had to go all Leighton Baines on this. <laughs> <laughs> But that's okay. It brought us excitement. That's the that's the kind of situation that I enjoy. If it was the other way around and say James Madison made it two two, then I would not enjoy it as much. Obviously. Um, moving on to the final things, you know, we want to you know catch you up on some some things that have been going around the Everton universe recently. We'll move over to our our toffee topics and the biggest thing happening right now for Everton other than the games they play in week in and week out is the managerial search. And it looks like it's, it's pretty complete. Our, uh, our old friend, Sean Lunt, uh, came out with some stuff today that, um, was from uh, the Italian, uh, Corriere, uh, della Sport saying, uh, Ancelotti's set to agree a four and a half year deal, um, for 28 million euros, 6 million a year. 
Um, he also has insurances over the transfer window and Moise Keane in particular, which we will get to, um, and that he'll be in charge for the Burnley game on Boxing Day if things go to plan. That was before, right before we started recording when Paul Joyce, um, as, uh, you know, one of the, the, the top guys that we know around, uh, Everton and around Liverpool, said that Everton are set to appoint Ancelotti on a nine million pound a year deal. It says that, um, you know, he's still working on, uh, getting the severance package determined with, um, you know, um, and then, uh, he'll probably, it looks like he'll take place or he'll take charge for the Burnley game as well. He stayed. So guys, first off, let's go financial. Chris, we'll start with you. Thoughts on the money we are paying. We seem to be paying for Ancelotti, and it seems to be that it'll be a record deal for an Everton manager. Well, on the one hand, it's not my money, so I don't care. On, this, on the other hand, when we sack him in 18 months, that is going to cost a crap ton. Yeah, an absolutely I mean, monumental stack of cash to get rid of him. Yeah. And, you know two years or whatever it's going to be. I, uh, I, I am not Farhad Moshiri. Uh, so I, I will echo Chris's sentiments that, um, you know, it's not my money. I think he's a big old idiot. Uh, but I also think he's a big old idiot with enough money that he don't give a fuck. If he <laughs> has to pay a butt ton of money to Carlo Ancelotti when we sack him in two years, because what's a lot of money to us is not a lot of money to him. Um, it's just a, it's just a completely different world that we have no <laughs> no way to grasp, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean that that that's the type of money that Farhad Mashiri has like lost in a morning. <laughs> yeah, as as long as long as the investment into Ancelotti is not in any way prohibitive to the club making player acquisitions, I don't care how much Farhad decides to pay his manager. And I see no reason why we should think that, that those two things would, you know, uh, not be able to coexist. So uh, for me, yeah. it, as it's long as he, as, yeah, as long good. as he held back enough money to extend Luca Dean's contract. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, it's, it certainly seems that, you know, uh, Ancelotti wasn't coming here to spend a boat load of cash in the January transfer window and in the summer window. So, um, you know, you would think that would be true. But I, I thought the interesting thing about this was the keen assurances, uh, from what, um, from what Sean said. Obviously, Keen's situation so far has been, um, pretty interesting. Obviously, it hasn't been used too much. And then, of course, the thing with Man United today playing, uh, putting in a pretty good shift. There was an article, uh, um, an article by The Athletic that was released, um, that was Interesting on the Keen situation, but the big thing that I took out of it was Marco Silva and Marcel Brands put together a list of names that they wanted in the summer transfer window, and Moise Keen was initially on that list. Now that Marco Silva is no longer here and there will be a different man controlling this team, Carlo Ancelotti, who seems to like Moise Keen, how does this affect him? I, I frankly, I think it's of all the players at Everton, I think the Ancelotti appointment is probably best for Keane, right? Um, you know, he's, yeah. he plays a more sophisticated, we'll say, style of football than the other Everton strikers. He, they're both Italian. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. 
they're both Italian and, uh, you know, Ancelotti has shown a, a reasonable affinity for, for playing young players through his career. Um, I believe that Isco got his start at Real Madrid under Ancelotti and James Rodriguez as well and other players like that. So I don't know. I think, I think Keane will be encouraged. Yeah, uh, agreed. I don't have a whole lot more to, to add to that. Um, it's certainly, it's, it, there's not a whole lot of room for things to get much worse than they were for him under, uh, under Marco Silva toward the end. Um, so it'll be interesting to, to see how he is impacted. And I think that part of it will also depend on what Carlo Ancelotti and, and what Marcel Brands and Farhad Mashiri and everyone's kind of goals are for the second half of the season. You know, if, if we come out uh, of the the holiday, you know, fixture crunch, you know, sitting comfortably in, in 10th place and having really uh, removed ourselves from the, uh, the relegation battle, but still not really in the battle for a European position. Um, how much leeway is, is Ancelotti going to have to just kind of fuck around and do some stuff out there to see what sticks and who works and who doesn't to figure out what, what we'll have in, going forward into the coming years. And obviously you know, for now, yeah. right now I don't have an answer for that, but it's team will be impacted by that decision uh, more than most, I would think. Well, it's an interest. It's kind of an interesting equation, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this in the weeks to come. But both Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Moise Keane need to be playing, and they need to be playing a lot. And the way that Everton's roster is constructed, it's not exactly the best idea to play two strikers at one time. So I'll be interested to see how that's handled, especially since, as Adam mentioned earlier, we're going to be down to one competition pretty shortly. <laughs> Yeah. Such such confidence about that FA Cup fixture we've got. <laughs> <laughs> Although yeah, not, uh not, Ancelotti has beaten Jurgen Klopp, I think, twice, but uh with significantly better teams. What does it mean to beat Jurgen Klopp? I'm I'm not familiar with this this idea. <laughs> people well, uh, beat Jurgen Klopp. <laughs> yeah, not very many people are familiar with that at this point. Um you know, building on what you said, Chris, you know, they are both Italian, so that um, language barrier probably will be will will or at least breaking that language barrier between Ancelotti and Keane or or Keane and his manager will certainly help um that situation and like you said I, I think like both you guys said I think it definitely helps him um if Ancelotti comes in obviously if he won a trophy that would be great Ancelotti that's that would be the good that Ancelotti can do for Everton but other than you know winning a trophy and you know putting us in Champions League. What are some of the good that Ancelotti can bring to Everton, uh, you know, being the manager uh, starting probably in a week? Well, <laughs> Go ahead, Adam. I'm sorry. I, I think uh, the the experience, you know, I think we've talked about kind of our concerns with the the negative that most of his experience has come with with clubs that have had more talent and bigger budgets and all of that. Um, but I think the experience, uh, that he brings of week to week, you know, being a, a top, a top, managing a top team and the expectation that he's going to have of, of his players and of the club, uh, is, is a positive thing. And it brings a level of experience that, you know, we've certainly never seen, um, it from an Everton manager in our lifetime. Um, so, that to me is encouraging. Obviously, some of that needs to be tempered based on the the uh, the talent that's available. But 
as long as Carlos got a good understanding of that, the mentality that he can bring based on the experience that he has, I think ultimately is positive. Yeah, and the only thing that I would add to that is that if you look around the world of club managers, Ancelotti is probably, would you say maybe top five, top six or seven in terms of A, name recognition, and B, just shit one? Yeah. And Uh, there's value in that. Like that's, that's, you know, I, I have expressed elsewhere some major hesitancy in just appointing a celebrity manager like this, but there are some things that, that, come along with that and you know player recruitment may see Mm -hmm. some improvement in particular um so so that would be that would kind of be my my take on it moving to our the final thing we want to talk about today something we don't really talk about too much on this podcast but definitely deserves a lot of attention the everton women's team um first off a big congratulations to their manager willie kirk who was named the manager of the month for november team uh, and Adam can can I'm sure speak to these things uh, a little bit better than I can um uh, but you know led the team to to um a, a pretty good month there and then now they've recently been linked to Izzy Christensen of Leon uh as many of those who follow women's soccer in Europe know Leon is one of the best well is the best team the best um, is the, the best. best team bar none in Europe uh Talk to me, talk to us a little bit about really the Everton women's team, how Willie Kirk has been, um, you know, performing as manager, and then this, this link to Izzy Christensen. Well, I, I was certainly concerned, uh, over the offseason, and I know Rachel, who, who does the, the majority of our Everton women's coverage, uh, over on the site, uh, you know, we were a little bit concerned coming into the season. Everton finished next to last, uh, in the league last year. And the team that finished below them, uh, they didn't get relegated, but they they went bankrupt, basically. Um, so we were definitely concerned about relegation. Willie Kirk's moves over the offseason were basically bringing in uh, the the top goalkeeper from Finland, uh, one quasi-experienced uh, Dutch player and uh, a couple of, of English younger players. And somehow he has turned a group that was – uh, 10th in the league last year and made those changes to a team that's fifth in the league through, uh, through nine games. They sit at, at five wins and four losses, uh, lost three to one to Arsenal last week, which is no an sh- achievement. No shame in that, yeah. Which is an achievement because Arsenal has beaten a team, what was it, 10, 10 nil, I think earlier, nine nil or 10 nil earlier in the season. Um, so the fact that that they have been Arsenal beat beat Bristol City eleven to one and then eleven to one. There it is. Yeah. Then they beat the London Bees in the FA Cup nine to nothing. Ah yeah. They shouldn't be playing second division teams ever. Ever. Um so so very encouraging that they are a team that's stable right now, you know, sitting at fifteen points. If if you had offered us fifteen points uh at the start of the season for the entirety of the season I might have taken it because I might have thought it would have been good enough to keep them from getting relegated, and they're at that through through nine matches. So, I mean, cannot be overstated uh, how far above expectations this team has punched in so far. Um, and then, as you've raised, the, the Izzy Christensen link um, came from The Athletic earlier today. Uh, Christensen is a player who played with the English national team um, at the last Euros a couple of years ago would have most likely made the World Cup roster 
the England World Cup roster if if not for injury, and is a player who, as we said, is is playing at Lyon. Not a ton of minutes, but anybody who Lyon even sees value in uh, has to be a pretty gosh darn good player. And, and this is, without a doubt, the biggest name that the Everton women have been linked to since the inception uh, of the FA Women's Super League uh, four or five years ago. Um, it is an absolutely massive opportunity for this club to prove that it can be uh, a place where these kind of mid-level international players for, for not only for England, but for other top top European nations you'd like, like Norway, like Sweden, like the Netherlands, um, like France, that for players who are kind of in on the fringes of those national teams to be able to have a club that they can go to where they can regularly expect playing time and have a reasonable chance to succeed. Um, if Christensen can, does, does indeed come to Everton women and can do that, it is a chance for it to be a, an enormous springboard um, for similar signings like that in the future because clubs like that, that are kind of your comfortably mid table, uh, but still attractive to quality players just don't exist in, in, in the women's game in Europe. You can go play in the NWSL here in the States um, and, and kind of find that. But it, it, in, in Europe, you're either a Lyon or an Arsenal or a Manchester City or you're an other. Um, and right now, the way that, that Everton is trending is such that they could really carve out uh, a unique niche in, in the middle uh in that upper middle level of, of the English top division. And that is a really exciting proposition for a club that looked, you know, just nine months ago, like it, it would be in serious danger of being relegated. Well, it, it, I don't follow this as close as you do, but um, it, it bears noting to me as well, that this is a kind of something that we haven't seen before in terms of commitment to investing in the actual roster, right? Like that, it, uh, it'll know, be interesting that, to see. The, the way um, that I've heard you talk about it in the past and the way that I've seen a little bit is that um, they've improved around the fringes, right? Like they've never mm-hmm. taken a big swing at a at a position like this. Correct. Um, Christensen's contract with Lyon is up at the end of this season. Um, the rumor is that she will move to Everton in January. Whether or not that means Lyon – uh, hits Everton up for a transfer fee or because she ha- is coming off of an injury and has not been featuring for them. Leon just kind of shrugs its shoulders and says, we're happy to get her off the wage bill and just move her somewhere where she'll be more content. Um, we'll have to see if it does turn out to be the case. Uh, indeed that there is a transfer fee involved, then yes. Absolutely, 100%. This would be uh, indicative of a huge shift uh, in player recruitment and just prioritization of the women's team in general um, at Everton. I we just don't know for sure at this point if that's going to be the case or not. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on as hopefully uh, a move comes to fruition. And and for for those out there who you know or maybe new to what we're talking about. Christensen did play for Manchester City before she went to Lyon. And um, 
you know, she missed the World Cup with injury, I believe, but there's Correct. some quotes floating around out there from England manager Phil Neville, who who I think intended to take her with him um, to the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, absolutely. And she just wasn't able to. So yeah, yeah, she absolutely would have would have made the the World Cup team uh, over the summer, and, and is also has has roots at at Everton. You know, it's not something that we've talked about a lot, but in the kind of the the iteration of the English women's top division before the it went pro and became what is now known as the FA Women's Super League. Um, Everton was regularly alongside Manchester City, uh, one of the best clubs out there. Um, so she's she's come through the ranks uh, at Everton, then moved along with a lot of other players in that era to Manchester City and, and then to Lyon and now hopefully back home to Everton. Yeah, I believe I believe she was at Everton like 2008, 2009 yeah. range somewhere in there. Correct. Awesome. Now, you know, it's it's great seeing the Everton women do well. Um, you know, it's great seeing any Everton team do well, but uh, you know, like you said Adam, with them dealing with relegation last year, it's it's good to see them take that next step up and now be linked with these players. They could really change the shape of their team. Um, you know, moving forward and the shape of, of Everton's women's um, you know, team moving forward. That we did not talk about. Good. All right. Uh, all right. That's it. That's all we got. We got nothing else. Um, we will. Uh, we, we'll be back next week. Um, obviously, next week's Christmas, so we won't be releasing the same time um, as we normally do. You don't want to uh, celebrate Christmas with us, Gino? I'm hurt. Come on. I'm hurt. I mean, if you guys want to celebrate Christmas together, I certainly can, but I can't imagine that, you know. Well, I might, I might need a couch to sleep on and a lawyer, but. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, exactly. So, um, we will, we'll be releasing a little different time next week, but we will be with you guys next week. Um, you know, I'm assuming by next week we'll have a new manager in Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, we'll kind of start to get a feel for for what things are like uh, under his, um, you know, under his reign for Everton. So until then, Adam, Chris, thank you as always. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Happy holidays, everybody. Peace.